I will extol you, my God and my King, and bless your name forever and ever. Every day I will bless you and praise your name forever and ever. Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised, and his greatness is unsearchable. One generation shall commend your works to another and shall declare your mighty acts on the glorious splendor of your majesty and on your wondrous works, I will meditate. They shall speak of the might of your awesome deeds and I will declare your greatness. They shall pour forth the fame of your abundant goodness and shall sing aloud of your righteousness. The Lord is gracious and merciful slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. The Lord is good to all and his mercy is over all that he has made. All your works shall give thanks to you, O Lord, and all your saints shall bless you. They shall speak of the glory of your kingdom and tell of your power to make known to the children of man your mighty deeds and the glorious splendor of your kingdom. Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom and your dominion endures throughout all generations. My mouth will speak the praise of the Lord. Let all flesh bless His holy name forever and ever. Amen. Psalm 145, I wanted to have a special exclamation of praise for this historic day. This is the first Lord's Day we are assembled together since that epic decision. As you know by now, the Supreme Court released its decision in the Dobbs case, and a monstrous evil has been undone, a terrible wickedness and injustice has been righted, and I didn't know if I would live to see this day. I didn't know if it would come in my generation, in our lifetimes, and yet here we are. And so let me read to you June 24th. 2022, a historic day of victory. On July 9th, 1868, the 14th Amendment to the U.S. Constitution was ratified, effectively overturning the Supreme Court's dreadful Dred Scott ruling, which had denied personhood to slaves. The 13th and 14th Amendments abolishing slavery. On June 24th, 2022, the Supreme Court of the United States overturned the equally abominable Roe v. Wade decision, which denied legal personhood to the unborn, permitting abortion through all nine months of pregnancy and resulting in the cruel killing of over 62 million human beings in the womb. There is still much work to do as the battle for the unborn continues at the state level. But for those who respect the sanctity of life in the womb, for those who have fought tirelessly to protect preborn children from death by dismemberment, for those 
who believe babies should not be butchered simply because they have not yet emerged from the birth canal. For those who fear God, for those who love life, this is a day of rejoicing. This is a day of victory, for on this day, I wrote this on Friday, for on this day, a terrible evil, the federal protection of the murder of preborn babies, was at last defeated. Thank you, Lord God Almighty. Thank you, thank you, thank you. So I don't know where you were, what you were doing when you heard the news, but I love this image. I've been looking at so many of the images of the people uh, who received the news, the pro-life demonstrators there at the Supreme Court in Washington, D.C. But I love this image. I love the passion that it shows, the sheer joy of those who are just overwhelmed at emotion, overwhelmed with so many emotions at the news when it was announced. And you probably thought I was going to do a whole sermon on the sanctity of life. Uh, I've done that on a number of occasions here before. And in a recent Wednesday night Bible class, when the Alito draft, Justice Alito's draft, which indicated this was going to happen, at least it seemed to be the case from that draft, when that was leaked, uh, in my Wednesday night class, I spent 30 minutes in class talking about the weightiness of this moment, the significance of it, and I, I refer you to that, to those who may be watching and, and are not part of the class, or those here in the congregation who are not part of that class, if you want to go to the Kiss the Sun YouTube channel, or if you want to see me and I can direct you to that and show you where to find that. You can listen to what we talked about at that time. I'm not going to do a whole lesson on it right now. I'm not going to talk about it at length like I did at that time. But I will say this. Even when that draft was leaked, you see, when, when, it, when Texas first passed the heartbeat law and when Mississippi and other states were, were essentially banning abortion once there was a fetal heartbeat detected, which would basically eliminate all abortion. When those laws were challenged and when the Supreme Court agreed to take up this case, on Wednesday night here in the auditorium when we were gathered for class, I said this could be the decision where the court will revisit Roe and has an opportunity to overturn Roe versus Wade altogether, that monstrous decision that legalized the killing of unborn human beings through all nine months of pregnancy. But at that time, I expressed caution, and I said, well, I, but we don't know for certain if uh, the court will do that. And in fact, I was skeptical. I said, uh, I don't know if the court, as currently constructed, would have the a constitutional fortitude and have the moral will to overturn Roe, given the cultural controversy surrounding it, I, I just wasn't sure if it would happen. But I did say this at that time. I don't know if it will happen, but with God, all things are possible. And so we continued to pray and pray and pray. And then when the draft was leaked, we continued to pray and pray and pray. And now, finally, here we are. And I want to pray once more. I know Joe mentioned it in the prayer. We talked about it in class. 
As I said, I'm not going to spend a whole lesson on it, and I am going to move quickly through the lesson. I accounted for the fact that I wanted to talk about this and a couple of other things before we get to the lesson, so fear not. But I just didn't feel it would be right for us not to take a special moment to praise God for this great and glorious news and to give him the praise that is do his holy name. So let's do that together. Let's give thanks to our God on high. Holy Father, great God in heaven, we love you, Lord, and we praise your name. And we thank you for creating life and for giving us life and for giving the life of your son that we might have eternal life in him and victory over sin and death. And Father, we rejoice in this victory for life for the lives of the unborn in this Supreme Court decision that was just announced on Friday, Father. And we want to thank you, Lord, for all of those God-fearing souls who have worked so hard for so many decades, who've labored without wavering, who suffered and sacrificed and given themselves to labor, to lobby, to inform, to warn, to work, to minister, to do so much good, Father, that you used to work in the mystery of your providence to bring about this great and glorious day. We're so thankful that you have allowed us to live to see it. We know we have dear loved ones who've passed on before us who are not here to rejoice with us, but we know if they were faithful in Christ that they're rejoicing in your presence, Lord. We're thankful that we could live in such a moment. We know there's still great evil in the world. There's great monstrous injustices all around us. Father, we pray you would use us to expose the evil of this world, to work to right these injustices, to be the salt of the earth, to be the light of the world, that you might work through us, that you might work in us so that others can see your righteousness and your justice and your love and your compassion through your church, through your people at work in the world, so that they can see in your church, in your people and in the love that we share in Christ and in our love for all men, that they can see a glimpse of the glory to come when Jesus will come and when we will dwell with you forever, and when righteousness will reign, and there will be no more injustice. We look forward to that great day, Father, and we know that it is coming. But we're thankful that we could see an injustice corrected right here and right now in our time. And Father, use us now in this moment to do good, for those women who need help, who maybe felt that abortion was their only option, but now, Father, who feel that they're desperate, feel they have nowhere to turn, Lord, who need us to help them and to minister to them. Bless us, Father, to support adoption, to support ministering to mothers, to give prenatal care, postnatal care, to work in every way that we can, to use this moment as an opportunity to show the love of Christ in tangible ways by ministering, reaching out to help those who may find themselves in 
in need, Father. May they find in us as followers of your son the love and care that they need and come to glorify your name. Oh, Lord, thank you. Father, forgive us where we have failed, where we have faltered. And lift up our hands and renew our spirits so that we might minister to all whom we can and that we might ever be to the praise of the glory of your grace in Christ Jesus our Lord. For we ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, you might think this is the part now where Tyler finally starts a sermon. Not yet. Not quite yet. I wanted to say we were gone for VBS and we saw a couple of images of everybody in their matching shirts and I, uh, I regret that I didn't get to see. I wanted someone to take some video of the glow-in-the-dark classroom. I hope everyone got to see that. That was really, really cool. Some, all right, someone did. Good, good. Uh, but I know all the classrooms were really cool and all the decorations, all the work. So many people did so much and put so much love into that, Paul and uh, Dacian, all who worked with you, thank you, and I know that was a blessing to our, our kids and will uh, make an impact on them that will last throughout their lives, and so we're grateful for that, and so I know that's already been acknowledged, but I just wanted to take an opportunity to um, thank those who labored in that work and to praise God for, for that effort and express appreciation. And then in addition to that, I need to do this. This is my first time in the pulpit. Yes, I have a stopwatch. Don't panic here. It's, I got it right here. So, uh, But I still need to take a moment. It's my first time since Sean Kinnan and, and Tyler Austin were baptized into Christ. When, when they were baptized on that Saturday, the next Sunday, the young men came back from camp, led in the worship, and so I didn't have a chance to give my charge, my exhortation, to them that I like to do. It's a tradition here that uh, I've been doing. And, uh, and so on behalf of this congregation, in the name of the Lord Jesus, Tyler and Sean, we want to urge you to love the Lord your God with all your hearts and all your souls and all your might, to serve him in truth with all of your hearts all the days of your lives. Our prayer is, that you be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding to walk worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing, bearing fruit in every good work. We pray God will be glorified in your lives, that you will faithfully follow Christ all of your days and that you will serve the Lord our God together with his people. God will work great things in your lives and that we can be together through all eternity in the, in the presence of God. That's our desire. That's what the Lord has made possible for all of us through Christ Jesus our Lord. If you're visiting and you need to know how to secure that blessing of salvation and have that hope to be a reality in your life, please let us know. Let us know. That's the invitation. I know it's not in the correct order. You're supposed to hear the invitation right before I say let's... Let's stand and sing. But that is my invitation to, to the assembly this morning. Uh, if you need to know how to be saved, if you know how to be saved and are ready to respond to that, when we stand and sing that song, please let us know or let us know before we leave here today so that we can all be certain of our salvation. I'm glad that you're in our midst. So if you were here in the previous weeks, 
then you know I'm doing this series on faithful fathers, and we've got about 15 minutes or so that we can continue in that series and work our way a little further down along. And uh, this is actually part four, even though it's the fifth sermon. I know that makes no sense if you weren't here to see that I divided the first two, uh, or rather the first lesson into in two parts. But So don't worry if you're keeping score at home and, it, and it's confusifying. Well, that's my fault, but all right, faithful fathers, you know to write those words at the top of the page if you're taking notes or you can continue it if you've got your notes there and we'll move on. We talked about the need for faithful fathers and the importance of fathers in the biblical view and the role of a faithful father. That's now what we're looking at. And what we said so far under that heading is a faithful father is to love the Lord supremely. The faithful father is to be the leader. He is to lead his family. Faithful father is to love, of course, his children, but first he needs to love the mother of his children. And uh, I'm I'm, I'm trying to exercise some restraint to not give sort of summary statements about what we looked at under each point. Then we said a faithful father is to provide for his family, is to protect his family, and his children from these corrosive influences. We'll have a little bit more to say to that in what, what may be the final lesson next time. And then a faithful father is to discipline his children, to uh, nurture his children in the chastening, in the discipline, and in the admonition of the Lord from Ephesians 6. But now where we're going with this is we looked at that classic text, that key text in the New Testament about fathers disciplining their children to know the Lord, Ephesians 6. Now I want to look at the classic text from the Hebrew Bible, what we call the Old Testament, to emphasize this point we're making here in the few minutes that we have. And that is a faithful father is to teach, is to teach God's word, teach God's word to his children. Now I said we're going to look at this text in Deuteronomy, And I want us to understand a little bit about the importance of this. In the text from Ephesians 6, when Paul talked about children and that what's sometimes called the the, uh, household text or the household laws where you have places in Scripture where you'll have um, the inspired writers addressing various uh, family members and their various roles in the home. Well, this is one of those texts. And when he talks about children being obedient, and then he says, fathers, bring up your children in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Well, to go back to that, in Ephesians 6, 1 and 2, I just want you to notice, remember that Paul here cites the Decalogue. Here he's quoting from Exodus 20 in the Ten Commandments, right? So he's quoting, he's looking back, to Scripture. This is the Word of God. Yes, it was given to Israel. Yes, there are unique elements to the law of Moses that are not uh, binding on us today, uh, living under the law of Christ. But Paul is citing Exodus as authoritative, that Scripture as binding on us today. So we need to be discerning and understand that, yes, we can appeal to these texts. That text is quoted in Deuteronomy as well in chapter 5, and we're going now to Deuteronomy 6. And I think what Paul, rather what Moses said here to the people of Israel is just as applicable to us today as it was to them 
then. So to Deuteronomy we go, and this text here, Moses in his farewell speeches to Israel is setting the law before this next generation that has come up out of, after the one that came up out of Egypt and that is poised to go in by the hand of God and to settle into the land. And so he's urging them to hear God's law, to know God's law, to keep God's law, and to trust in God's hand at work among them. And so then this, the Shema that that Jews still pray to this day, Deuteronomy 6, beginning in verse 4, Shema, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one, and you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children. You shall talk of them when you sit in the house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. All right, great text. I know we hear this often when we talk about the home, when we talk about our families, when we talk about our kids and their need to know the Word of God. But from that, let me point out a few things here. Faithful fathers are to teach God's Word to their kids. First of all, by example. By example. Go back to the text. Look at it. He starts in verse 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You see, first, you have to know God. You have to know who God is. This is the great affirmation of the faith of the people of Israel in the one true God, that He is one, that He is God. So it starts with knowing God, knowing who God is. But then he says, and you shall, as we just read, love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your might. Right? So we start there. And then he says, these words that I command you today, you see, before he gets to teaching them diligently to your children, he says, they shall be on your heart. All right, not just that you know them and can recite them so they're on your tongue and so they come out of your mouth or so that you're hearing them when they're proclaimed, but they're on your heart. That means you've received them into your very person, so that they form who you are. They have to be on your heart. And so dads, if we want to lead our kids to know God and on the pathway that leads to heaven, that leads to eternal life, they have to see first in us that we love God with all of our hearts, with all of our souls, with all of our might. They have to see, my kids have to see in me that I'm serious about my commitment to Christ and that I'm going to follow Jesus and I'm going to not just tell them in the way, I'm going to lead them in the way. We have to live it before them. So many times our kids, when they're older, we see the alarming statistics of how many we're losing in the generation that have come up in the church. And it seems to be, in many cases, tragically, because they don't see a genuine commitment in, in the adults in the church or in their own parents or in the home. Yes, maybe they were brought to church, which is good and which is something we should do. Bring our kids to church. Bring our kids to Bible class. Be active in the, in the local congregation. That's critical. But too many times, they, I think young people haven't seen 
authentic faith being lived out before them in the home? And is it any wonder then when they're grown, they don't continue in the ways of God? And so we have to lead them by example. We can't teach them in in any meaningful kind of way and expect that to have an impact on their souls if we're not living it out before them. We have to teach our kids diligently, diligently. Notice the text. That's what Moses says. You shall teach them diligently to your children. This has to be something we put effort into. It has to be something that we purpose. It has to be purposeful and planned. We have to be serious about it, diligent about it. And in the text, you see the language that he uses here. It has to be constant. It has to be consistent, not just a once in a while, randomly sort of thing. Notice the language of it uh, when he says, teach them diligently to your kids and talk of them, not just when it's time for the whole assembly to come together and then to hear the priest in the, in the context of ancient Israel expound on the law, not just when we have the annual feast, when we all travel to Jerusalem and all of God's people come together. He said this is to be a daily thing. Excuse me, I'm having a little trouble This is to be a daily thing. It's to be a part of your lives day to day. Talk of them when you're sitting in the house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, when you rise up. We're constantly bringing the word of God, the name of God, the will of God into our conversations and making it a part of our focus on a daily basis, the centerpiece of our home. When he says, bind them as a sign on your hand and and as frontlets between your eyes. Now, some of the Jews in some generations at different points in Israel's history, they took this quite literally and would have uh, little parchment, little scrolls of Scripture uh, in little cubes that were packed together and hung so that they could uh, have them suspended on their foreheads and, be, and almost between their eyes and actually hanging from their garments so they were literally on their hands. And there's, and there's certainly nothing wrong with that sort of thing, but... I think he's speaking metaphorically here because many times Jews who did that and were very uh, fastidious and very, uh, very scrupulous about having the literal word of God on their bodies weren't always living it. They didn't have it, as Moses said, in their hearts. You see, what he's really talking about is you're to have it constantly before you. It's to be a part of who you are. So when you're teaching them diligently to your kids, they should see that you're constantly in the Word and you're constantly thinking about the Word and talking about God's Word. When he says, write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates, it's great to have Scripture sayings and, and uh, uh, posters and framed uh, uh, embroidered passages from the Bible hanging around our home and you might have them over your uh, doorposts, over your doors or on your walls and Again, but we understand what Paul is referring to here is the idea that it's to be a part of our homes. It's to be a part of our daily lives. Our kids need to learn God's word from us in the home consistently on a daily basis. I know we had times when I didn't always open the Bible, when I allowed things to interfere, really busy days, and and when our schedules were especially hectic, and and when I didn't miss the day from time to time because of various circumstances. But what I mean is they need to see that it's daily, that it's consistent on a daily basis. In other words, not just 
that, it, that thinking about Scripture and talking about God's Word is something that we just do when we go to church services. When we assemble with the church, the preacher does that. The preacher tells my kids what's in the Bible. The youth minister tells my kids what to believe. Uh, when they go to Bible class, that's where they're going to learn the Bible. Well, of course, we're thankful for the church to help us, and that's important. And parents, we need to support the Bible classes. We need to support these works to teach our children the Word of God. And thank our Bible class teachers for the great work they're doing and how God is using them to shape their little hearts and little minds. It's a tremendous blessing. And it's a disgrace when we neglect that. It's for you. Come to Bible class. Bring your kids to Bible class. They're missing out. And it's a way that God can help you to do this. But it's not, my point is, of course, it's not just Sunday. It's not just Wednesday. It's not just a couple of times a week. It's to be part of our homes. That idea of when you, when you sit down, when you rise up, when you're walking in the way, wherever you are, whatever you're doing. You know, I've had devotionals in the car. I've talked to my kids about the attributes of God or this scripture or that scripture when we're, when we're driving in the car. You're... It, the way we might say that today is when you're, when you're in the Taco Bell drive-thru, when you're standing in line at the grocery store, when you're here, when you're there, wherever you are, whatever you're doing, that's the idea, right? We're always looking for those opportunities to explain, well, this is why we do what we're doing, because the Bible says this, because God has told us this in His Word. We're always looking for those opportunities. We have to take the time. I know we're all busy here in modern American, in our modern American lifestyles. We've got our kids involved in every kind of activity. That's great. Extracurricular activities, bands, sports, camps, all kinds of things. That's all great. Not saying that I'm opposed to those things, but we cannot let anything else take precedence over. This is to be the most important thing. We have to make the time to read to sit down with our kids in our homes and open the Bible and read and discuss God's Word with them. Sadly, I know many who were, as we say, raised in the church, who grew up coming to church their whole lives with their moms and dads and who never had dads sit down with them and have a Bible study with them and teach them the Bible at home. Again, I believe that's tragic. Never had time to sing and pray and worship together as a family in the home. And it needs to start when our kids are young. And it's actually easiest, I think, to do it when they're young. Later, I'm going to recommend some resources to help you do that. If you're wondering, if you haven't been doing that and you wonder, well, where do I start? I want to recommend some resources for different ages and put some some good materials in your hands and direct you in the right way. We can talk about those things later. But I'm going to wrap it up here, just cut this uh, at this point here in just a moment, if you give me just a moment or two longer. But it's so important that, fathers, we gather our family together around an, uh, the family altar, you might think of it, and worship God in the home, that they see worship is not something we just do at the church building when, when we have the assembly on Sunday. 
But God is worthy of our praise and we give him our praise on a daily basis. And we do that in our home and we do it individually and we do it together. We come together like fathers, like the patriarchs, gathering the family around the altar. That altar might be, sometimes we would have our little devotional time on the bed in the bedroom or sometimes in one of their bedrooms and usually it was on the couches and chairs around the coffee table in the living room. Sometimes it was at the dinner table. While we were eating or after we were eating, right there. While we were all together that way. But our kids need to see that we worship God in our homes. This has to be a priority in our homes. And fathers, whatever else you do in training your children and raising them, you might prepare them to pursue an education and help them, moms and dads, to get into uh, good schools and on a good career path, and you might teach them a lot of things. But this has to be, we have to consider this, moms and dads both, but especially, of course, you fathers, we have to consider this our most urgent task, our highest calling. You know, you know you've heard me joke before, I'm not much an out, of an outdoorsman. I use that line a lot. I'm uh, what you call indoorsy, okay? So I'm not a hunter. I'm not a fisherman. I don't camp. I don't do all that stuff. And I, I'm really intimidated by you dads and you men out there and some of you women who know how to do all that stuff and build a campfire and set up a tent and, and who are interested in all that sort of thing. And, you know, I've camped a couple of times and the whole time I'm sitting there camping or I've fished a couple of times and the whole time I'm thinking, I could be, I could be somewhere else reading right now. Why are we here? But, uh, you know, that's, uh, we could have flush toilets and a hot shower and it just never, it makes sense to me. But I, so I didn't, you know, and I'm not, I'm not handy. I'm not good with, you know, I, I can barely drive a nail. I can barely open the hood of the car. I, I'm just not good at a lot of practical stuff that a lot of kids learn from their fathers. And so uh, I, I had to rely on others to help me with those kind of things. But I hope, I hope that my children will at least never forget that whatever else I may not have been able to teach them that I tried not perfect father, I'm not holding up myself as the model, but I hope they remember that I tried always, always, whatever else I did to make sure that we took time to pray together, to open the Bible together, to worship God together in our home as a family. And I don't know of a greater legacy you could leave your children. I mean, if, if our kids get into the greatest schools and, and graduate with the highest honors and have great livings and earn a lot of money and have nice homes and cars and a great standard of living and go far and have the respect and accolades of their co-workers and uh, the respect of the community, whatever else they have, if they lose their souls. What, what good is all of that if they lose their souls? And we can't make our kids go to heaven, or we would, right? But we have to be serious about writing the word of God on their hearts in that time when we do have them, when their hearts are impressionable, while we still have that, we only have a few years with them before they're gone. That has to be our priority what is it that we need to teach them? That's what we'll continue to look at, Lord willing, next time 
And again, I want to suggest to you some, some practical steps you can take, some resources that will be helpful to you, because I know this seems daunting, maybe, to, to some of us, but we, we can help each other, and I want to be of help to you. Come see me if you want to talk about these things, and uh, talk to, to me, talk to one of the elders, talk to one of the deacons. We can all work together to help each other be what God has called us to be and to try to make our homes what God would have them to be. If you're not a Christian, as I said, we want to give you that opportunity to lay hold on eternal life that God gives us through His Son. Let's stand and let's sing this song together.